We are wrapping up this Journey of Faith series. We've been looking at our beliefs as, as followers of Jesus in the, the Methodist tradition, in the Wesleyan tradition. We've been looking back to the teachings of our founder, John Wesley. And today I want to share one with you. In fact, I, I'm going to make some points that are pretty much word for word what he himself said. And I believe that there's so much hope in this. There's so much hope in this. But before we jump into that, I want to ask you a question. When you look at your spiritual life, have you decided to settle? You know what I mean? Just, just to settle, just to say, I am where I am, and I'm just going to be good with that. Uh, I'm okay. I, I, I know I could be better. Maybe, maybe I should be better, but I, I'm just going to settle. I'm just going to stay right here. You know, sometimes we do this in other areas of our life, right? You know, maybe there's like a time where like, say, physically, right, we, we work out and we watch our diet and all this kind of stuff, but eventually then we're like, ah, you know what, that's, that's not really a lot of fun. I'm, I'm going to just kind of settle with where I am and just with, with how I want to live. Your friends might say you're letting yourself go, right, when you do that because we decide to stop being as concerned about that. Or maybe we do it in our finances, right? And we just say, you know what, forget the budgeting, forget all the discipline stuff. It's not really much fun. I'm just going to kind of do what I want, right? Well, if we do that, we're going to miss out on some opportunities, perhaps. Or maybe we're going to get ourselves into financial trouble, even go bankrupt, because it doesn't work just to settle in our finances either. But for many of us in our spiritual life, settling seems like something with less of a cost, because it's not as visible as maybe settling physically or setting, settling financially or something like that. But we, we just think, oh, I can just, you know, not worry about it. That's for like the super Christians, just like pushing on and all. No, I don't want to do that. I just kind of want to settle. The Roman philosopher Seneca said this. He said, the wind is never favorable for those who don't know where they're going. I like that. If you're on a boat and the sail's up, you don't know where you're going. Oh, the wind will blow you around, that's for sure. But it's not going to take you where you want to go. It's not, maybe it's not going to take you to a good place. Because you don't have direction. You don't have guidance. You don't have something that you are committed to. And in this journey of faith, we're not just kind of blown all around. It's not just this journey. We, we don't really know where we're going. We're just kind of driving and we just turn left or right depending how we feel. No, there is a destination. There is an actual destination that we're shooting for. Faith is a journey, and whenever you're on a journey, the logical question is, where are we going? What's the point? What, what are we on this journey to, to get to? The ultimate destination, of course, that we're heading towards is heaven. It's when we die to not be separated from God eternally in hell, but instead to be with God eternally in heaven. The, the, a place that is perfect, where there's no more sorrow, no more sadness, uh, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. God wipes away our tears. It, it, it's, it's incredible. This is eternity, right? And that's the ultimate destination to which every Christian is going. And when you, you look at it that way, it means that this life matters, but it's not all that matters. That we have an eternity that matters so much. But it's not just something that starts in the future. 
It's not just a matter of saying, okay, well, I will give my life to Jesus, right? I've kind of got like my little fire insurance card then, and I don't have to worry about hell. Instead, I go to heaven. Life is good. Now I just like live it out, die, and there we go. Well, it's actually not about that. It's that Wesley taught of grace that called sanctifying grace, grace that helps us to become more and more holy as God is holy, grace that doesn't just leave us in the sin where we're at, but grace that actually empowers us to become more and more like Jesus, to live more and more like him. We don't need to settle. God doesn't want us to settle. We weren't made to settle. We weren't created to settle. No, we were created to be in this continual process of growth. It's such, a, such an important, such a valuable thing in our lives. Wesley taught something. He, he taught something that he would refer to as being made perfect in love. Some have called this Christian perfectionism. And I remember when I first heard of this, I was in college, and just the word seemed seemed to not make sense. I mean, who's perfect, right? And I remember asking the pastor of the, the church I was attending then, he was actually a student pastor, and uh, apparently he hadn't had his class on this yet, because I was like, what does that even mean? He goes, it means you're perfect, obviously. <laughs> well, people don't get perfect, right? So that's nonsense. So I immediately dismissed it as just something that is not not accurate nor helpful in any way. But that's not what it's about, okay? That, that's a poor d- description of it. Wesley talked about being made perfect in love. He paints a picture of the Christian life that is a lot higher than what many of us have settled for. It's actually a hopeful picture, a picture that things can be better than they are today, that we don't have to just continue to live in the exact same sin that we live in today. We oftentimes, when we settle, we say things like, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect, right? So I'm just, yeah, I'm going to give in to sin a lot. I'm going to be tempted. I'm going to sin. But, you know, that just is kind of what it is till I go to heaven someday. Well, Wesley rejects that idea. In fact, he gives, he says that there is hope that here on, in this earth that we can be what he calls being made perfect in love. What is that all about? What's that all about? Well, let me just give you a few things he said that to help clarify what does it not mean, okay? So ways that we will not be made perfect here in this life. The first one is knowledge, right? Like we will be, never be perfected in our knowledge. Some people think they are perfected in their knowledge, right? I know it all, right? But none of us do. Okay? You, you never do. There's always more we can learn about the Lord, always ways that we can grow. You never arrive in that sense, right? Like you never get to like, oh, I don't need to read the Bible anymore. I don't really need to pray more because I know it all. Like, nope, not the case. Second, errors. We will certainly continue to make errors. Okay, Christians make errors. The best Christians there are make errors. We can misunderstand the Bible. We can make mistakes. We can think something is okay that is not okay, right? Like we can make mistakes. Third, personal flaws. This is not like intentional acts of sin, but rather, you know, we we get fatigued, we get tired, we stumble, we, uh, we, we stumble in our speech, we experience physical slowness, all these kinds of things. That happens. Fourth, temptation. We never get to the point where we're not tempted. Christ himself was tempted, right? There's no sin in being tempted. The question is, what do we do? What do we do with this sin, okay, or with this temptation? 
So those are some ways that we will never, ever be perfect. Wesley's not talking about these kinds of things. He's not saying, like, you get to the point where, you know, you're just so good in your walk with Jesus that you're perfect. You know, you step up to the T every time. It's hole in one. Like, no, that's not what this is talking about, okay? Well, here's what it's talking about, how we can experience perfection in this life. First, we serve Christ instead of serving sin. Okay, so our default, instead of letting sin be our master, Christ becomes our master, okay? And so as I make my decisions, I think, what is Jesus calling me to do in this situation? Not just, what does my flesh want to do in this situation? Because of my sinful nature, my flesh is often going to want stuff that is not the will of God. So as I elevate Christ more and more to be my Lord, my leader, I'm serving Christ instead of serving sin. Second, we stop committing intentional acts of sin. Okay, now this doesn't just happen like that. This is a long, ongoing process. This is what Wesley's talking about, that instead of choosing sin, we choose the Lord's way. So this is like when you know that you've got a choice, right? And here comes temptation. You know that Satan's kind of pushing you to go that way. You can do no big deal. Just do that thing. And you say, nope, I am not going to do that. I'm going to choose the Lord's way here. Wesley taught that we don't have to to make that decision, that intentional decision to sin, that God always empowers us to choose what's right. The choice is really, it's up to us, but it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Third, we stop committing habitual sins. You know what I'm saying. We, we all do this where we get, we get something, you know, we, we say like, I don't really commit like the vast majority of the sins out there much, but there's that one or two or three, right, that I, I do them really well, right, like routinely over and over and over, right? Wesley says we can be freed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can grow and be freed from having to live in habitual sin. And finally, fourth, we stop committing outward sins. Okay, there's other kinds of sins, like, for example, um, the sins of omission, right, where we should do something good and we don't do it. That's, that's the Bible says, defines that as sin as well. Well, clearly, no one is always going to do all the max good they could all the time, right? But this is talking really about that, those intentional decisions to sin. Wesley's saying we don't have to do that. You might say, well, where, where does he get this from? Like, okay, fine, where does he get this from? We're just going to go verse by verse here. 1 John chapter 3, this is kind of the foundation for it. John writes this. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. So it's important to get this right, right off the foundation, okay? That, that this is rooted in who we are as children of God. Not in our own effort, not in our own striving. No, this is rooted in our identity as children of God. At Pentecost, the, the Spirit fell upon the believers, right? And they were empowered with that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And they went from being this timid group of folks who, who were too scared even to stand up for Jesus in his d most difficult moments. They, they go from that to being people who pour out into the streets, who preach the gospel, who, who see lives change. Thousands of people come to the Lord. What happened? It wasn't like they went to a special school or they started trying a little harder. No, no, this was the power of the Holy Spirit in them, okay? And they understood that they are God's children, right? And they acted as if they are God's children, okay? So this is the same power 
that is inside of us. When we give our lives to Jesus, it's the same Holy Spirit that they received. It's the same Spirit that we receive. And so it's not just about trying harder, working a little harder, being smarter, be all you can be, right? Like, no offense to the army, right? But that's not what we're talking about here, okay? We're talking about being all that God has created us to be. We're talking about living into what God has made for us and what God has empowered us to be, to experience his perfect love and grace in our lives. Verse 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Okay, So there's always still more to it. Wesley is not saying that you can live fully into the fullness of heaven here on this earth, okay? That it, we're all on this journey. We're all, we've all got some ways to go here, okay? So he is clear about that. But we can continue to grow in love and move away from where we start, which is being slaves to sin, or maybe uh, being people who are trying to have this faith of a servant who's trying to earn our way there. Nope, we don't, that's not where we live. We live as sons and daughters, adopted sons and daughters of the king. Okay, so that's who we live as, and that's what empowers us. And that leads to verse 3. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he, just as God is pure. So since we have this expectation of experiencing God fully in heaven, we have a great motivation to turn away from sin here on this earth. It's like if you were getting ready for, well, think back, those of you who are married, think back to your wedding day, right? If you think back, how did you get ready on that day? Or if you're not married, how would you get ready for that kind of day? Like if you were getting married late in the afternoon, I'm going to bet that you're not going to spend the early part of that afternoon like, mowing the lawn and going to the gym and all this stuff. And then you're like, oh, you know, wedding in 15 minutes. I'd ought to head to church, don't you think? Nope. That's not what you do. At least I hope that's not what you do. Like, this is a big day. This is a big deal. You want to be ready. You want to be prepared. So you're going to spend that day. You get yourself cleaned up. Maybe you got your hair done or your nails done or whatever it is you, whatever it is you like to do, right? You were getting, you spent the day getting yourselves ready for this event because you're living in with this eager expectation of what is to come. You're living with eager expectation to just show up in your old jeans and t-shirt would show that you don't get it. You don't understand what is to come. You don't understand what a big deal this relationship is. You don't understand what a big deal this commitment is because when you're making a commitment like this, you, you want to look your best. You don't want to just show up like it's an average thing, right? Because this matters so much. Well, the Bible often describes our relationship with God as in the same terms as the relationship between a husband and wife. That, that, that the church, we, are the bride of Christ. That we are being made ready throughout all of eternity to be in this like marriage relationship with God. That's kind of, because marriage is the closest human relationship there is. So it gives us the best understanding of what our relationship with God is, even though it's, it's greater, even than human marriage. So as we grow in holiness, we're growing in our preparation for that life throughout all of eternity. Verse 4, how do we do that? Well, everyone who sins is breaking God's law. 
for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Now this verse, if we've kind of gone with the settling route, this verse makes us uncomfortable, right? It says, for anyone who keeps on sinning, like ongoing willful acts of sin, show that we don't know him or understand who he is. And we're like, well, I don't want to see it that way. I want to, like, what if I could be 99% choosing not to sin, and I'm just going to make 1% of my choices intentional acts of sin? Like, that should be good enough for God, right? I mean, come on, 99%, that's an A. Everybody knows that, right? Well, that's not how it works. Because sin separates us from God, and God calls us to be holy as God is holy. Like, and we, we get this in certain ways. If, if you go to lunch today, and the waitress brings your beverage, right, and sets it on the table, and says, hey, great news, that is only 1% cat urine. <laughs> I'm not drinking it, right? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> 99% is not good enough in that case, Right? And for so many of us, we've chosen just to accept that certain percentile of, of, of sin which separates us from God. And we look at it because we're like, well, but I'm a lot better than the average person, so God should just be cool with that. Like, God should just kind of, you know, just, just chill out here a little, okay, right? Like, no. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. It's an incredible, incredible standard that God sets for us. And this must, we, we understand clearly now, this must be rooted in something deeper than our own effort. If you're here and you're like, well, <laughs> check please, that is for like the super Christians, I cannot do it. Obviously, I should have skipped church today, okay? No, this is not going to come for any of us by striving, by working harder, by just trying a little harder. Not possible because we've got this sin nature inside of us. That, that continually is tempting us, continually is, is causing us to want to sin. It's got to be rooted in something so much deeper than that. It's got to be rooted in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, for he's the one who made this possible. It's like chains. Um, sin, we used this illustration in the first week. Sin is like a chain. It's like a chain that, that we wrap around ourselves, that Jesus does not want for us to live this way, okay? This is not the life that the Lord has for us. When we're born into this world, this is how we enter, okay? As people, children of Adam and Eve, we talked about this in week one, people who inherit this sin nature, who are, who are literally changed in our, in, our, in our spirit by sin, the Bible tells us that when Jesus went to the cross, that he, the one who knew no sin, who was perfect, he became sin for us. So it's like my sins taken off and placed on Jesus. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he, the one who had never sinned, took my sins on himself. 
took your sins so that we could be free, so that we could be different, so that we don't have to live this way anymore. And whenever we compromise and we intentionally choose sin, it's like we're trying to take back that way of living that Jesus set us free from. It just doesn't make sense. How would you feel if you're Jesus and you had given so much to make John free and yet John continually chooses to pick up the chains instead? I mean, think of it this way. Let's say that you have a, let's say that that you're just getting started off in life and you don't really have a lot and your job doesn't pay that well and life's kind of rough, right? And so like you you live in a pretty old house, right? You live in this this place here that's pretty rough, right? You're like, um, and some of you are like, yeah, that almost is my first house if I remember right. And you're like, oh, you know, that's my house, but it's the best, the best I can do right? I'm trying. It's the best I can do. Well, what if you got a visit one day from your uncle, uh, let's just call him Elon, right? Your uncle Elon, right? Who just happens to be a uh, multi-billionaire, right? You know? And Uncle Elon looks at your house and is like, what are you doing? How is it that my, I'm one of the richest people in the history of humanity. How is it that my niece or my nephew is living in that mess? You know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a a million bucks, right? Because a million bucks, no big deal, right? You know, I just make that by thinking about something, right? So a million bucks, and and we're going to use that million bucks to buy you a better house, right? Like, well, 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 here we go. You you need a pool, right? You need a nice place, right? So we'll use some of that million bucks. We'll, We'll buy that. We'll get you some new clothes. We'll get you looking better. I'll give you a brand new Tesla because I own it, right? You know, I mean, shoot, maybe next month I'll send you to Mars or something like that. I don't know. We'll see. And he offers you this incredible gift, right? And you're like, wow, Uncle Elon, you, you are the best, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> that's really incredible. I am just, I am so thankful that you're willing to do that for me, that you're willing to give me that kind of like ultra generous gift. But you know, as I think about it, I'll pass. No thanks. I, I, <laughs> I don't really, I don't know that I really need that, you know. I, I kind of I like the house, right? I kind of, I, I like the, the rats. They're friendly, you know. They're, they're like pets to me now, right? And, and I like my old car because it doesn't start half the time. And so I don't really feel like working. I just call up work and I'm like, nah, my car won't start today. Sorry, I can't make it in. But thanks for the offer. You're a really great guy. Are you crazy? <laughs> you you got to be kidding me, right? You're just offered an entirely new life, and you choose this. And that's sin. That's willful acts of sin. That Jesus dies to take our sin, and we say, wow, what an amazing gift. Mm, I think I'll pass. I think I'll just keep on living in what I'm living in. I'll just keep on, you know, keep on doing that stuff. Why would we do that? One of the things that Wesley taught is that at its core, all sin is about pride. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. (laughs) You want to be like God? Well, here you go. 
When I choose to sin, willful acts of sin is what we're talking about. When I choose to sin, I'm voluntarily saying, God, my way is better than your way. I get that you created me, yada, 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 but my way is better than yours. This is how I want to live. This is what I want to do. And it seems logical to us, but it's really not. It's settling. It's the ultimate act of settling. It's, you see, God calls us into a relationship that is so much better. It's so much better than what we could ever do on our own. That, that God calls us to freedom. He doesn't want you to be chained up by sin anymore. He wants you to be free. This is why Jesus died for you. And he wants to have this relationship with you. This, this both now and throughout all of eternity. This incredibly close, intimate, spiritual relationship with you. Where, where, where you and the creator are one. This is how God has created us to live. But for that relationship to live into its fullness, I've got to be 100% in. Our commitment is to say, Jesus is Lord. Not, Jesus is a nice guy. Jesus is a good advisor. Jesus is like my doctor. I'll take some of his advice and throw out some of the rest that I don't want to mess with, right? Like, no, Jesus is Lord. He's the leader. He's the one I want to live for him. If, if a marriage is really going to grow into what it could become, it takes a 100% commitment from both, right? It's not 50-50. <laughs> no, no, no. It's 100-100 all of the time. And, and that's where a really great marriage takes a long time to develop. Because when we first get married, we don't usually start off that way. We come into it with a lot of selfishness, right? And, well, you know, well, I'm going to kind of do this my way, right? And you find out that your my ways clash a lot, right? And it takes time for us to learn, how do I, how do I love you fully? How do I put aside what I want and put you first? How do I do this? And as we get better and better and better at that, the relation get, relationship gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Of course, every illustration breaks down, and so does this one, because in, in the, our relationship with Jesus, or in, sorry, in a relationship with, with our spouse, we're married to another imperfect person. Our relationship with Jesus is not that way. He never lets us down. He's always for you. He loves you fully. He loves you better than anybody, anybody will ever love you. He loves you better than you could love yourself. And see, Wesley's teaching, he taught this about, he called this being perfected in love. Not being perfected in legalism. Not being perfected in just trying harder, but saying, I love Jesus so very much that I want to live for him. I need to live for him. It's who I was created to be. And, and so I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to empower me to do just that. Because on my own, <laughs> I'm going to mess it up time after time after time after time. But when Jesus is the Lord of my life, when I'm walking in the power of the Spirit, when I'm not trying to walk in the strength of my own flesh, but instead trying to walk in His power, now I can grow. Now I can see change. And as I do that over time, 
God makes me more and more like him. Verse 7, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of Man, or sorry, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The Son of God did not come just to give you a little upgrade in life. No, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? The Son of God did not come so you could just tolerate a certain percentage of the works of the devil in your life and say it's okay. No, he came to destroy the works of the devil. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. It's not going to happen by my strength. It's not going to happen by yours. It's only going to happen by his if you're sitting here and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so hopeless and uh, uh, this is just never going to happen. No, you don't get it, friend. It's a call to love Jesus more. It's a call to love Jesus more. It's not a call to live in fear. It's a call to live in deeper, deeper love. And as I love Jesus more, he draws me more and more to himself so when I have that choice between sin and Jesus, I'm more often going to choose Jesus and more often going to choose Jesus and more often going to choose Jesus. And the position of my heart continues to move closer and closer and closer to him. That's what Wesley's talking about. So finally, John gets us here to verse 9. Those who've born into, been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning. See the ongoing terms here. Because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Wow. If you hear those and you don't feel some conviction in your heart, I'd say that you're hardening your heart. I feel convicted this is the second time I preach this today. I'm convicted once again, right? It's going to happen at the next service, I promise, right? Because I'm not there yet. And I need you to help me to continue to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I've got like the 42-year-old version of this, and it's got a ways to go. But I have hope, not in myself. I don't have any hope in myself. I have hope that God will continue to draw me closer to himself, continue to make me more and more like him, continue to, to strengthen me in my faith, and that's what God wants to do for you. So I'm going to take a moment and, and I'm going to pray that God would do that exact work in your life to help you also to fall more in love with Jesus and to help you to grow closer to Jesus because that's what his call is. So Lord, we are well aware that we cannot do this on our own strength or our own power. That is not going to work here. This is only going to be done through the power of your Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit. Won't you fill us? Won't you help us to be holy as you are holy? God, I pray for the one who's struggling with legalism today the one who is just beating themselves up because of decisions that they make. God, would you just help them to feel your grace, your love, that this is not about striving. It's about falling more in love with you. Lord, we want to love you fully.
We want to grow more and more in love with you. And I pray that you would draw us to yourself so that that can happen. For God, we love you so much. And we pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen.